The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois.
revelation and understanding, faith and trust. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless it now to your people, we pray. In Jesus' strong name. Amen. Here now, Word of God, Luke in chapter 1, verse 5, verse that John the Baptist foretold. This is the Word of God. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God in his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me. Take away my reproach among people. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And may He write truth in our hearts today and keep your Bible open here in Luke. Uh, and I want you to see three themes here uh, in this narrative. Three themes that come out that both relate to this couple that we're going to be introduced to specifically, but also relate generally to the people of God as a whole. Ourselves. There is the theme, first of all, the theme of longing in verses 5 through 10 that we'll see, the theme of longing. And then secondly, the theme of preparation, the theme of preparing in verses 11 through 17. And then the theme of believing, the theme of faith, verses 18 through 25. Longing, preparing, and believing that we see here in the text. So first of all, verses 5 through 10, this theme of longing. About longing and longing and desire and, and, and anxiously waiting for a time and for a season.
season, they long for that time of year, or there are other people who are okay with a long fall season, so that winter is delayed a bit. Uh, but everybody longs for Christmas time, I would assume. Uh, that's why Mariah Carey is already popping streaming charts, and people are listening to that terrible song again and again and again already, because they're longing for the Christmas season. Well, there is a longing that we encounter here in this text, both with respect to the people of God uh, generally and a very particular couple. Look again at verses 5 through 10 and notice how much emphasis Luke is giving about Old Testament context for this gospel story that he's telling. If you remember from last week, if you look back up at verses 1 to 4, Luke, the physician, had diligently researched and recorded first-person eyewitness testimony of the things that had happened among the people of God, and he is writing so that you and future generations might know the truth of what has happened. But he roots it deeply in Old Testament context. So, for example, in verse 5, Zechariah is introduced to us as a priest from the division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth descends from the priestly line of Aaron. You see, Luke cares about these details. So we should pay attention to them too. Luke just doesn't say, here's a guy and here's a gal. He says, no, uh, Zechariah is from the division of Abijah and Elizabeth from the tribe of Aaron. Why does that matter? It matters because in the Old Testament, the priests served in the temple and both Zechariah, who is a priest, and his wife Elizabeth, who is descended from Aaron, the first priest. This is a priestly couple, in other words. A key couple in the history of the Old Testament now as we move into the period of the New Testament. And Old Testament priests, of course, served in the temple, and that's what we find Zechariah doing here, except we don't appreciate, as Gentile readers of this text, this very important Jewish Old Testament detail that priestly service in the temple itself was really very grave. And that was because there were about 18,000 priests in Judah. And from Judah, there were 24 divisions, and each division was on call to serve in the temple twice a year. So the closest thing that we can refer to here is maybe like a firefighter ship. 24 on and 24 off, maybe? Well, divisions of priests, wherever they lived throughout Israel, would have to come to Jerusalem for a week, twice a year, as their division was on duty for priestly service. So there are some 750 priests per division and only so many temple shifts during the week. There's a morning shift and an evening shift throughout the week. That's 14. 14 shifts for 750 priests. So just because your division was on duty didn't mean that you were going to go into the temple to serve if you were a priest. That's why Luke says they cast lots. So among the 750 priests per division, they cast lots to determine who would have the special duty of serving at the altar of incense in the temple. 750 priests casting lots for 14 opportunities twice a year for morning and evening sacrifice. And by God's providence, the lot has now fallen to Zechariah, whom we meet. So we must understand that this is a huge moment for Zechariah. He likely would have never had the chance his entire life to have been the one to get the 14 shifts, one of the 14 shifts throughout his lifetime, because they were divided up among so many. To highlight his entire life as a priest, this one opportunity, that's why it says in verse 7, we learn that he and his wife will advance in years. 
by this point. In other words, Zechariah has waited almost his entire career as a priest for this moment. We need to understand the significance of what he was doing as he gets selected by Lot. Why was he there? What's he doing? What's the priest's purpose as they go in for the morning and evening sacrifice? What's this business about the incense all about anyway? Well, as the priest goes into the temple and there's a light incense on the altar, it was representative as the smoke rises from the incense of the prayers of the people of God ascending from earth to heaven in hope that God would hear their prayers. And Zechariah as priest is officiating this service of incense and indeed interceding on behalf of the people while he performs this task. And the people would have been gathered outside in the courtyard and as the smoke rises from the animal sacrifice and as the smoke rises from the altar of incense, it was to symbolize the cries of the people of God crying out to the Lord for pardon for their sins, for the hope of a redeemer. And we have this picture of that reality here. And as quickly as an aside, there was both morning and evening sacrifice, and the details suggest that there was a lot of people gathered, and more people would gather for the evening than the morning, so this is probably the evening sacrifice of Zechariah's ministry here at the altar. Now this, all of that detail is important, because this is a solemn, sacred moment of profound devotion for the people of God, this detail at the beginning of the story of Jewish temple worship and priestly service because Luke is writing primarily for non-Jewish readers like us who wouldn't know all of that immediately if it wasn't explained. Luke wants us to appreciate the detail and significance of this event because he wants us to see how the significance of Zachariah's ministry and the, the, the people of God generally are drawn together this moment because what we are about to witness in the opening pages of the New Testament, uh, Luke's account anyway, is the end, the climax of the Old Testament period. That that great season of anticipation before the coming of the Messiah was leading up to a time that has come now. All of those centuries before in the law of Moses, every day when the offering would go up and the sacrifices and the incense and the cries of the people, they were crying out for the Messiah. And Luke wants us to believe and anticipate all of the fullness of that longing that the people of God had as they make their sacrifices, as the incense is burned, of waiting and waiting and waiting. They were waiting for a deliverer, longing for their redemption. But we know also from Luke that this, this, this sense of longing is not just true generally of the people of God, but also specifically of Zachariah and Elizabeth, who Luke tells us is a couple, an older couple that has longed for a, for a child. Longed for God to provide them a child. It turns out that they're unable to conceive, and although they had waited long on the Lord, no child has ever come. And uh, as you're familiar with the Old Testament narratives, every time you see the theme of a childless couple, it is preparatory for the amazing work of God. Every time. So Luke is causing us to pay attention to this. It seems that verse 18 seems to indicate that Zechariah and Elizabeth longed for this so much, but they've come to a point where they've given up their hopes. They've surrendered their longings, in other words. They're beyond childbearing age when they've had doubtless resigned themselves to the inevitability of their circumstance, perhaps like the Jewish people have as well. <clears throat> that all of their suffering and all of their waiting and no answer from the Lord seems
maybe has given way to a sense of resignation and defeat. And in some ways, Zachariah and Elizabeth, his aged and priestly couple, embody the situation of the people of God in their marriage. They've been waiting without answers, and their expectations appear to have been dashed and their hopes shattered. And Luke intends to evoke in us, as we read this whole episode, the sense that both Zechariah and God's people have this shared sense of longing, unfulfilled, of waiting, and never seeing an answer to their prayers. So that's what I want you to notice. First of all, this theme of longing, as I ask you, is there something that you have longed for throughout your life and you have not realized it? You have not seen it? Maybe to the extent that you have given up hoping for it, after all, because you say, never going to come, and so why should I continue to hope for it? This, this sense of longing that waits so long that you want to quit on the longing, and yet it's still there. I'm not trying to deny it, but it's there. You can understand then this couple, and you can understand the state of the people of God as a whole, but Luke is preparing to say, God does things in his own timing, but he's never late. God does things in his own timing, but he's never late. So longing, and then in verses 11 through 17, this theme of preparation. God is not indifferent to the longings of his people, to the cries of his people, because he's about to send his son, the Lord Jesus, to be the redeemer that we've been waiting for, of course. But first, before Christ comes, the people must be prepared. Prepare them for this momentous event. So he sends Gabriel to Zechariah just at the moment that he's offering the incense and praying for the redemption of Israel. Verse 12 tells us, understandably, poor Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell, fear fell upon him, falls down, and this is, this is a very customary reaction to angels in the Bible, uh, because by the way, angels are, are not some kind of cute winged baby, they're, they're holy creatures, they're terrifying creatures to us natural people, and Zechariah falls down with fear because their presence is overwhelming, and yet for all the drama of the moment, this angelic message is one of hope and good news. See it there at the end of verse 19. I bring you this good news. I bring you this gospel. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, verse 13, for your prayer has been heard. For your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And we see verse 18 suggests to us that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth have likely given up hope for a son many years ago. Zachariah is smart enough to know that their biological clocks have probably run out on that possibility. And the prayer that he's making there at the altar probably isn't a prayer for a son specifically, but rather a prayer for the Messiah. Lord, send us the Redeemer. Send us the Messiah. Send us our redemption and our deliverance. And now Gabriel has arrived to Zachariah to say that reality is coming. As, as God answers the prayers of his people, he will also answer the prayers of you, Zachariah. And your wife. And as we look to what we learn about John, Zechariah's son, and who he will be, we notice how this is so. This is a description of the one that we call John the Baptist on into the future. John the Baptist is Zechariah and Elizabeth's son. He comes onto the scene, and Luke 15 tells us, Luke 115, that John will be great before the Lord. That Jesus himself, onward into the Gospel of Luke, will refer to John as among those born of women, none is greater. So Jesus calls his cousin John one of the greatest men. And of his greatness, Gabriel explains that Zechariah's son will be one dedicated to the Lord, consecrated to the Lord. He will be filled with the Spirit from the womb. And he will be as a prophet of the Old Testament 
turn, speaking of John, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him. That first he is a reference to John. That him is a reference to Jesus, the Messiah, and the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Gabriel is here making this announcement to Zechariah, and he's actually quoting from the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And as the last book of the Old Testament comes to a conclusion, Malachi 4.55 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah. This is the Old Testament. The prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And remember, that's the Old Testament. That's the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And when there's a period at the end of Malachi, there's 400 years between the close of the Old Testament and the record of the New Testament. 400 years of, of silence. God has not sent another prophet to Israel in those years of silence. No direct revelation, none for 400 years, absolute silence. But now, in the promise of the birth of Zechariah's son, Malachi's prophecy is being fulfilled because John, Zechariah's boy, will be the final prophet before the age of the Messiah. John will be the new Elijah, and his role, notice this now in the text, is to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And what do they need to do to be prepared? They need to have their hearts turned back. They need to repent. They need to turn away from their sin. His job is to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John is sent into the world to get the people ready to welcome and receive Jesus. In other words, is to say to the world, if you want to receive God's Savior, this is how you welcome him. This is how you must receive him. You must repent. You must repent of life on your own terms and turn back to the Lord. John's ministry is a ministry of repentance and in the order of history before the saving work of Christ. And this is so important to understand if we have to understand the gospel. If we think of the way the gospel works, the gospel is repent and believe. But I think far too often all we ever say is believe without the repentance. And John's whole ministry is to say to the people, repent. And repentance has in this age and the age of the scriptures, and just like in our own age, fallen seemingly so much out of fashion. You can't say this to people anymore. Because if you say repent, you are making an assumption. They have something to repent of, namely sin. And only sinners need to repent. So if you tell me I have to repent, you're suggesting something about me, that I'm a sinner. And so we say that's exactly what the gospel says. John's whole ministry is a call to repentance. And loved ones, in the 21st century, we should not be ashamed to say the same thing. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn away from life on your own terms. Quit insisting to have it your own way. You are not the Lord of your own life. The only heart that welcomes Christ is a repentant heart. And this is what the gospel says. It's time to give up of 
message friends it's still the message that we need today if we're going to be true to what the gospel says with heaven and finally then in verse 18 through 25 not only longing not only caring but then finally believing longing caring believing it's clear that poor Zachariah doesn't believe Gabriel right
expected to teach Zechariah this lesson. And now remember that Zechariah's experience in the story is a kind of parallel experience to the people of God, the Jewish people in the Old Covenant. And it tells us something about what John was sent to do for Israel as a whole and what must happen in our hearts as well if the Lord Jesus is to find a home in our hearts. Because Zechariah comes to repentance and to faith because John was born. And that's why John came to bring us to repentance and prepare our hearts to receive Jesus. Because repentance and faith are the two hands outstretched to receive Jesus Christ. So, longing fulfilled and preparation of repentance and believing in faith. For Zachariah and Elizabeth, for the people of God in the Old Testament, and for you and I in the age of the gospel. To learn to trust God even when it seems like his timing is far off of your schedule. To believe that he has power yet to fulfill his word. As we repent and believe in Jesus Christ. As he's offered to us in the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, great God, we give you praise for the history of redemption and your work throughout time. But especially in the life of Zechariah. Lord, maybe perhaps we ourselves need to be silenced. To be humbled again trust you. So Lord, as your word is planted deeply within us, let it spring forth the fruit of faith, trust, and obedience. Lord, bless us with repentance and faith as we trust in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit Edgington epc.org. May God bless and keep you.